the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, Paul is in Ephesus, sharing in the synagogue, teaching the disciples, and even working special miracles. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 19, verse 5. Once again, that's Acts chapter 19, verse 5. So it says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Christ Jesus, Jesus the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Now we have to admire their immediate obedience. They hear about, okay, well, let's get baptized. I, I, I grew up in church, you know, I don't need to do that. I think I got baptized. I think, I think something happened, you know. And can you remember when you first started to learn about the Lord and all he'd done for you on the cross? Do you remember the first time you started to understand what it meant that your sins were forgiven? That's what first love looks like. They didn't care. They didn't care they'd already gone through John's water baptism. That's what he did. All our sins are washed away. We stand clean before God and we get to tell everybody about it publicly. Where do we sign up? (laughs) Immediate obedience on their part. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. My commandments are not grievous. They're not a burden when love is the motivation. Now, well, I believe it's clear that these guys were believers when Paul found them. If that's not true, they're believers by the end of verse five. Non-believers don't get baptized, okay? So any way you shake it out, you cannot argue that what happens in chapter six occurs at their salvation. It occurs subsequent. We don't know if it occurred 10 minutes after their baptism. We don't know, but it occurs after their salvation. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they had a pool right there where Paul explained all this to him and said, oh, let's dunk them down and get it done. But I don't know if it was a couple days, a week later, an hour later. You know, I don't know how long it took to go get them baptized. And then how long after Paul is going to lay his hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. But anyway, you shake it out. It is subsequent. And so verse 6 gets back to Paul's original issue with them. They were lacking the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so he deals with it here. Verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on or upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And this is where everybody gets the heebie-jeebies and freaks out. There is a consistent thread throughout the book of Acts. This is the same thing Ananias did with Paul, right? He laid his hands on him, right? 
And the Bible says that he was filled with the Spirit. Peter and John laid their hands on the Samaritans, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And now Paul prays for them here, lays his hands on them, prays for them to be immersed or baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit, just like John the Baptist prophesied, just like Jesus prophesied when he told them, he said, hey, he breathed on them, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. That was their born-again moment. They're saved. They received. I believe that if Jesus says receive the Holy Spirit, he's not just speaking metaphorically, okay? That he means what he says. They receive the spirit of God inside and they're born again. But then he told me, he said, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything until you be endued with power from on high, until the promise of my father comes upon you and you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And the spirit did exactly that. The spirit came upon them, it says. While the spirit is with every human being convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment, that's believer, unbeliever, When we get saved, he comes into us. He comes into those who receive Christ the moment they believe. And at that moment, he begins the work of making us more like Jesus from the inside out. But he doesn't stop there. The spirit of God also wants to come upon us in order that he might continue Jesus's work through us. And that's why the Holy Spirit is so prevalent through the book of Acts. Remember the theme of the book of Acts is what? Jesus is still working, right? He's still working. Now he's ascended into heaven, but he's not done. He's working through his church and he's working through his church by his spirit. Is he working through you? Have you asked the Holy Spirit to come upon you that you might be empowered? I don't want my life story to be Will is still working. That's a very short story and it doesn't have a happy ending. (laughs) I need the power of God's spirit to rest upon me so that my story, you need it so that your story will be Jesus is still working. Amen. We need that. We can't look at something like this and because there's crazy shenanigans that go on in some churches out there and just say, I don't know what that is. Verse eight, you know, we can't do that. We have to ask ourselves the question. We must be students of the word and say, God, what do you have for me? I love what I heard a pastor say. He said, well, if you don't want it, give it to me. Say, say, Lord, whatever portion I don't believe in and I don't want, send it Will's way. I'll take it. Because I can't do it on my own. I don't even want to try to do it on my own. You know, sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person for the first time, they're also given gifts or gift of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes nothing. Six different times the book of Acts lists this experience where after someone's salvation, they are prayed for, they receive the filling of the Holy Spirit, and each time, guess what? Something different happens. Does the Spirit give the gift of tongues or prophecy or both when a person receives his empowering? Maybe, sometimes, he might. It's really up to him more than any of us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, it says the spirit distributes his gifts as he wants, when he wants. We don't command it. Can't have an expectation for it. My job is just simply to be open to whatever God wants to do in my life. I never dreamed God would make me a pastor. (laughs) I wouldn't have dared to ask. In fact, I was telling a buddy of mine, we had a mutual friend and we were teens together. And uh, I remember when I started first feeling a call to be a pastor and I, I remember I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I said, 
go, go ask my friend. I mean, you, you got the wrong number. He's the talented one. He's the, and he was. I mean, he's an amazing musician, very charismatic individual. All the girls liked him. I thought, he's the guy. I wouldn't have dared to ask, but that's what the Lord wanted. And I believe the Lord has given me other gifts, just like he's given you gifts. And when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Lord gave me the gift of tongues. I'm so glad he did because it's been a great aid in my personal prayer life and my personal worship time. Now, if that freaks you out, I have no apology for that. It's biblical. I had a, a gal that I knew when I was working at Chick-fil-A and, and she found out I was a pastor and she's all excited. She went to a very conservative church. Um, so she wanted to come and check us out and she wasn't getting fed. And, and, uh, and so she came by and checked us out and man, she, she was just so blessed. And, and she was growing and getting fed and getting plugged in, getting to know people. And I remember one day we were talking and, and she started just bashing anybody that came from any type of a belief that believed in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I said to her, I said, you know, our church believes in that. She looked at me and said, what? I said, our church believes in that. It's biblical. Now, we're not getting to the weird stuff that maybe some of the stuff you're mentioning, but we believe we still need the Holy Spirit's power today. Oh, well, you don't, you don't, you don't do any of that, do you? And I remember I told her, I said, yes, I do. And I shared my story with her. She never came back to the church and never spoke to me again. You think that's Jesus? That's not Jesus. Those are my gifts. But I bet if we were to go around the room here today, I imagine most of our experiences would be different, just like Acts. Some of you may have had a very emotional experience when the Spirit of God came upon you. Some of you may have had no emotional experience at all. The idea here isn't so much, did you prophesy or did you speak in tongues? The question is this, is the Spirit's power resting on your life? Or are you out there doing it in your own strength? The Bible says that we need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't need to be resealed with the Holy Spirit, do we? But it says we need to be being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. We need with regularity for God to fill us with his spirit, to overflow us with his spirit, that when we interact with others, that is not the flesh that they're seeing, but it's God's spirit who brings forth what? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. We need that. Without it, we're not going to have an impact. We're going to be just like these Christians here who love the Lord, are saved, but there's something missing. Now I mentioned here, verse seven, I love this. And all the men were about 12, a small little Bible study. Never despise the day of small beginnings. You know, Ephesus would become one of the most influential churches in the world. Well, verse eight, we see now the spirit begins to minister powerfully in Ephesus through Paul for over two years. It says he went into the synagogue and he spoke boldly for the space of three months. Nowhere had Paul experienced this much influence at a synagogue. Corinth and Ephesus were a uniquely special period of Paul's ministry where he had unbounded freedom of, of ministry. And so for three months, he's reasoning and discoursing with these guys about the kingdom. Verse nine, but as usually happened, when divers were hardened, when some became very stubborn and didn't want to hear it anymore and didn't believe, they refused to believe, but they spoke evil of that way, 
before the multitudes, he departed from them and he separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, two years in Ephesus he stayed, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. You know, when these folks started to organize resistance against Paul, he said, you know what? I'm done. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move out. We're going to not continue just to fight with you guys anymore. These guys, it says, they believe not. They refuse to believe. It's that same word for disobedience. And Paul, now he begins to minister there. And for two years, he begins to minister. Now, what's interesting is this is the only time, I, Paul probably did this everywhere he went, but this is the only time it mentions that he separated the disciples from those in the synagogue, you know, that they would exclusively now meet on their own. Uh, this would be a hard decision for many of those believers as they'd have friends or even family who hadn't converted. But this is a fulfillment of Jesus's words. Remember, he said, I'm not come to bring peace, but a what? A sword, right? Yeah, he came to bring a sword. And so the result was that all they that dwelt in Asia, the province of Asia is huge. They heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Being able to spend two uninterrupted uninterrupted years leading people to Christ and discipling them brought great maturity and an excitement for evangelism. Wouldn't it be cool if that was our testimony? That all of Central Florida heard the word of God because of what God was doing here in Orlando? Amen, that's right. What will it take though? What will it take? In Paul's time spent here, the investment that he made in these people, they dug into the word. They were spending time with one another. They were spending time with Jesus. What will it take? Each of us needs to make a personal decision to draw near to the Lord, to know him better and fall more in love with him. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but when you're in love with somebody, it's easy to talk about them. It's easy. I love my kids. Talk about them all the time. I don't have to search for a way to bring up my kids. It's funny, people ask us when me and Bev go out, say, do you talk about the kids a whole lot? Well, of course, we love our kids. If we're on a date night, we don't, no talk about the kids. We're adults today. We talk all about our kids, our hopes, our dreams, our fears, our worries, our concerns, the things we laugh about, because we love them. When you're in love with somebody, it's easy to talk about them. So how do you do that? Well, same way you, you build a love for anybody, you spend time together with them. If I could have only one wish granted as a pastor, it would be that everyone in our church spend time in the word and prayer throughout every day. One wish, one thing. And Lord, give me one thing. It would be that. Because I know that if you see his beauty more and more every day, you're going to fall in love with him. <laughs> and if you fall in love with him, his commandments won't be grievous. And you're going to want to do them. And you're going to want to tell other people about him. And news is going to spread. My heart's desire is that we as a church would fulfill the one thing that is most important. One thing have I desire the Lord, and that will I seek after, David said, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire of his temple. One thing is needful, Jesus told Martha, and Mary has chosen it, to sit at my feet. Paul said, this one thing I do. What was it? What was the high prize of his calling that I may know him? The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. If I could have that one thing, I'd be a happy man. Well, verse 11, it says, and God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul. So God did some unique things. The word there, phrase there, special miracles, means not the ordinary kind of miracles. Okay, I guess that shows how regular the miraculous was in the early church life. 
That Luke called them not ordinary means that these things were not a regular occurrence in the early church. Nor should they be regular occurrences in our church. We are not going to start selling prayer claws, okay? That is not to be a regular occurrence in our church. Beware of the snake oil of false teachers. If they are trying to sell you anything, don't buy, okay? Because Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give, freely give. If people really wanted to help others, I'm going to get in trouble now. (laughs) I want to help people. So I want to go into X profession. You want to help people. Then you go, you get plugged into the church and you go serve the people there in that capacity. Because if you have to charge for it, you're not helping anybody. Nobody. Now, you say, well, I have to live. That's fine. That's fine. You know, we, we sell CDs here. You know, uh, or I, I, do we still sell CDs? I think we still sell CDs. Does anybody use CDs anymore? But we keep it cheap. I get real annoyed when I see, buy, buy my series on the Holy Spirit for $49.99. How much does it cost? I don't know what we sell. I think we sell them for a buck. It's just to recoup costs. That's it. We're using the Lord's funds to buy it and to give it out. So we want to make sure we recoup the cost. We want to make sure also that people that want it really want it. When I would be given books, I'd be given books a lot as a pastor. And so you go through it and half of it you got to throw out because it's heresy. The other half, you kind of wait till I got that already. And then we would put the rest out on the tables for the church and we'd charge a buck. And the reason is, is because there's always going to be somebody who goes and grabs 30 books and reads one. And so we figure if you got to lay down a buck, you'll think twice about just picking it up. And then, you know, the idea but that's nothing. Freely you have received, Jesus said, freely give. I am appalled at how many times I have people come into my office and they need counsel and they want to talk and then they come to me and they say, how much is it? My heart breaks that they would even think that. You're a friend, you're a brother, you're a sister. I'm just here to help. I had so many people that poured into my life and invested into my life over the years. They didn't charge me a dime. They just loved me because they were my brother or they were my sister and they wanted to help. Beware the snake oil of false teachers. Where am I? <laughs> God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons. These are towels or sweat rags, whatever he was, you know, if he's painting or if he's doing stuff and he had to wipe his hands off or if he wore like a you know, thing around his neck or around a bandana around his head to keep the sweat out of his eyes while he's working. It says, and they took them and the disease departed from them and the evil spirits went out from them. What is that? Pastor, you talk about tongues and I'm, I, I'm done with that. Now this is just weird. A wise pastor once said, When confronted with things you don't understand, fall back on what you know to be absolutely true. And we have very clear teaching on healing, right? James chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Read it on your own because we're about out of time. But he says there, if there are any sick among you, what do you do? Call for the elders of the church, have them anoint with oil, lay hands on you, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. That's what it says, right? So that's what we do. We do it in obedience to the Lord. 
Well, does the Lord need us to like, I mean, is there some like, you know, mystical thing that happens when we lay hands on people? Does power, you know, we have to have contact because power has to flow through us into them. I remember I was at Night of Joy once as a teen and we were out with friends and one of them went to an extremely charismatic church. And, and I remember she all of a sudden goes, oh, oh, I've got the anointing, you know, quick, touch me. And I was like, I was running. I was like, I don't want, whatever you got, I don't want it. Why not just pray? Why lay hands on? Well, there is something about the contact of a fellow brother or sister's hand being laid on you that takes our faith from the place of, I know God can heal me too. I believe God wants to heal me right now. There's something about it. God knows better than I do. And so we're obedient to him in that. And so, you know, the question is, do we see things like that in scripture where someone else, something else maybe becomes that place of contact? Because the question arises, what happens when that person can't get to a place where someone can lay hands on them? What if they're in another country? What if they're in another city? You know, what if the pastor can't be there that day? You know, do we see that? Well, yeah, we do. Remember the woman who touched Jesus's robe? And what did she say? If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be healed. There was something about touching his garment that changed her faith from passive to active. Remember Peter's shadow. People bring their sick out because they couldn't get them to the temple. And so they would just bring it out. Then when Peter on the way home, maybe his shadow would touch him. Now, Peter, you know, Peter wasn't, you know, you know in, in, in prayer and fasting and praying, God, anoint my shadow, you know. But there was something about it. He said, if we can just do that, we know that God will move now rather than God might move or can move. And so we see it here as well. Paul couldn't get to Ephesus is huge. And he couldn't get everywhere. And so he thought, yeah, I have a sister. She's over on the other end of town. Can you come pray for her? And he's thinking, I got all these people I'm praying for here. I can't, I can't go, but uh, take this, <laughs> you know, take that, you know, and, and then, and, and pray for her and tell her, tell her I've prayed for her. And so this was a unique experience at this time because of all the awesome things that God was doing. You know, how encouraging would it be if you had a friend who was in another country who was struggling with an illness and you wrote them a letter and, and the letter was a prayer for their healing on it? I mean, don't you think that could be the very thing that would take their faith from passive to active and then God might work in their life that they might really seek him? I remember I was at Bible college and I, I you know, you do dumb things as students and, and we were goofing around in the room and I, I was on the top bunk and I jumped from the top bunk to the floor. And I landed wrong on my heel and immediately, I mean, just intense pain and all this blood started to pool in the heel. My heel was a purple, reddish purple for nine months. Very difficult to stand up. I was working a job in addition to going to school and I couldn't keep up. My boss actually pulled me aside and he said, Will, you're going to lose your job if you can't keep up. We went to numerous doctors and they said, this is just something that you just have to kind of wait it out. There's nothing, we can't do it. I mean, if I drain it, it, it won't necessarily fix it, you know, because he's still got the bruising going. It still has to heal on its own. I, I, I remember I left my, my boss's office and I just, I wept. I'm like, God, I'm like, I need to stay in school. I need you to do something. Now, during that entire time, theologically, I was not going, I don't know if God can heal me, you know? I knew God could heal me. I knew all I had to do was just speak the word and it'd be done. But we were at a, a Koinonia night, which Tuesday nights we'd meet, we'd have worship, afterglow time and, and one of the guest speakers who was there, he came down. He said, if we need prayer afterwards, come on up. And as I was sitting there in the, in the church and in, in the auditorium, I, as the Lord said, I, I want to heal you tonight. Go up and have him lay hands on you and pray for you. Now, God could have healed me right there and, and where I sat. But there's something about walking up and humbling yourself and saying, I have a need. And then when that guy lays his hands on you, 
that something happens to your faith. My heel was fine after that. I had no problems whatsoever. All that purple was gone overnight. I've never had a problem again. So that's kind of how I look at this event. That these things took their faith from passive to active and the Lord worked. So, you know, in our day, the word of God, it's going out, it's growing, but weekly, you know, we have more ways to study the Bible, more ways to get it into people's hands. And yet its influence is weakening day by day, day by day. And I wonder, I don't think it's so much a lack of knowledge or a lack of understanding of truth in the church. I mean, I do think there's some of that. But I think the problem is, is the world often doesn't see much of a difference in the living of our lives than everyone else. When the, the boss is unfair and unkind, they see us complain just like everybody else. When layoffs come down the pike, you know, they see us worried just like everybody else. When all these things happen and go on, they see us react the same exact way. And I think sometimes it's either because we've never had that experience of being empowered by the Holy Spirit or we've quenched it. The Bible says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we can do that by doing things in our flesh. My heart is that our living witness would back up the words that we share with people rather than the words that we share with people have to be an explanation of who we are. Let's live what we believe all the time. Let's live what we believe, not in our own strength, but in the power of God's spirit. You know, in John chapter seven, verse 38, and he said, he that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow or gush rivers of living water. And, and I just ask you, as we're about to sing, is that a good description of your life? Is, you know, are, are, are you having torrents of living water gushing out of your life? And if not, then maybe, maybe this is something you've never experienced. Or maybe if you have, it's time for a refill. So let's all stand and, and let's worship the Lord. And then we're going to take a moment to, uh, to pray together. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407 523 0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.